Welcome to Everybody Has Shit. I'm Kim Reed. This podcast is an open invitation to put your wellness on another level. You no longer have to keep your autoimmune disease or whatever it is that's holding you back a secret. Secrets hurt us. Everybody has shit, so let's all get better together. Let's all try to overcome the challenges we are facing and live our best life. We're good. Okay, so we are pretty much in my home away from home. Oh, good. Um, So we're at the Parakeet Cafe, and I met your husband months and months ago. Yes, think when you had just opened here, and I'm like, I just want you to know I'm paying your mortgage (laughs) because I am here with my family so much. So it's amazing to be with you, Carol. And I know that you have a story. I pulled this out... I don't know it's been several months ago this is you yeah and you just briefly touched on some things that I thought would resonate with our audience um, you the mother's to intuition is very strong yeah and it led you to represent your daughter in a very difficult way can you take us back many years when your very very young daughter Michelle yes was sick yeah so well she was born um, with a very rare disease that is called Langerhans cells histiocytosis and um, it was very hard to diagnose so she was born sick and nobody really knew what she had so we were in the NICU for like a month and then uh, apparently she got better but she didn't really got better so it was just like very confusing because nobody really knew what was going on right but um they couldn't pinpoint what was wrong with her but um so we had multiple diagnoses um it was like a lot of hidden miss very weird information about what was happening with her so wait and so you got the diagnosis but like not not the real thing that she had Oh, okay. And so we never knew she had LCH until she was five months old. So when she was born, she was in the NICU. People thought it was something that uh, happened when she, when I gave birth to her, something probably infectious or um, meningitis, uh, something that could be neurological. That's scary as a new mom. Very scary because... Uh, the, the the more scary part for me was that we never we didn't know what was going to be the end result yeah. because everything was like if it's neurological you will never know how she will develop until right. she grows up because you wouldn't know if a baby will walk until she's two years old. So or what were she, the symptoms though when she was born? That was it right away. Right away she couldn't breathe by herself, so she was intubated early on, like twelve hours after she was born and um, pretty much that was the most important part like she couldn't breathe on her own so she was intubated and after like 21 days she pulled the the breathing tube herself yeah and then she was breathing on her own but she just looked very weak um so now you were living where we were living i was born and raised in mexico city that's where i got married and where i started my family so we were in mexico at that time and so pretty much that was it. Like we had a lot of different diagnoses. No, no one was really sure. She appeared to get better. Um, but then I was always very concerned because she was my youngest daughter. I already had another, an older daughter. So I was like, 
this is not how a baby looks like at this age. She looks very weak. She w it was very hard for her to like hold her own head. Right. Little little things. But that you just didn't make you notice. I, I noticed. Yeah. I tried to tell everyone that I see this in this baby, and everybody kept saying like, "Oh my God, it's a very traumatic experience to go through, just having your newborn baby in the ICU. So just go get over it." Basically, that's what they said. Like, get over it. This is very hard. Very challenging, but it's a done deal. Uh, so I was trying, but I couldn't just because I kept like she she didn't breathe like smoothly. So you can always hear on the baby monitor, yeah. you know, like her. It was just like different. I couldn't exactly describe what was about it, but it wasn't uh, like easy as right. a, the other baby I experienced before. So, um, but she kind of like went was growing she was gaining weight like every everything was slow and steady um, but then she started like have some symptoms on her skin so then we ended at a very long road that seemed to be like it was like 15 years but it was only five months and um, we ended up going to a dermatologist and he was pretty certain of what she was since she saw her sorry he he saw her and immediately he said like, oh my God, I think this is what she has. I just need to do a biopsy to confirm my diagnosis, but I'm really sure this is it. So unfortunately, or fortunately, because then at least we knew what she had, he was right. He was the one, it was a dermatologist who diagnosed her. And yeah. say again what it is. It's called Langerhans cells hysteocytosis, LCH for short. So he said, um, I have the diagnosis, but unfortunately, this is only a symptom. The skin is only a symptom. The problem is that she's a, a baby and everything is systemic. So he needed me to go to a doctor to see where, where she had the disease. Right. Because the skin was only like a symptom of the real problem. So we decided to go to the Texas Children's Hospital in Houston. And um, because that's where we found the specialist from this disease. And we went there and he said, hey, let's hope she doesn't have this on the spleen or the bone marrow, because if she does, there's pretty much nothing we can do. So we submitted this tiny little five month old baby to a million tests. And in the end, they told us she has the disease in her lungs and her skull. And that was a good news. So that would explain the breathing issues. That would explain the breathing issues. And the only way to know before was to do like, um, um, to do like a test in utero where you do like a, right. yeah, yeah. a biopsy of right. the lung yeah. in uterus, which you will never do because I went through all of the normal tests that pregnant women do and everything was fine all the time. So, so when there you was no way to know. So you had to travel then back and forth? At this point, we just went to, to see this doctor because um, you know how everything is very synchronistical and things happen for a reason. So these dermatologists went to school with one doctor that was working at the Texas Children's. So he said, let me reach out to him and ask him if he knows what we should do. And of course, at the Texas Children's was where the specialist from LCH was. So. We had an appointment, we traveled to meet with him, and when we got the diagnosis, he said, we need to start this baby on chemotherapy, which at that time was the treatment for this disease. So we stayed in Houston to get treatment. So under what 
what type of disease is it? Is it, it's not autoimmune, but, but what is it? I think it is autoimmune because it's a, the thing is that she made more white blood cells than she needed. Okay. So, um, so it is autoimmune. Yeah. So the body doesn't know what to do with, oh. with more than it needs. Okay. So it forms tumors. And these, like these cells, are not mutated like they are in, in cancer, where they are like a bad cells. Right. These are like perfectly healthy cells, but they, it's too much. So the body just doesn't know what to do with it. So it forms tumors, and hers did like tumors in the lung and the skull. So the chemotherapy was to stop the growth of the tumors. From the yeah. Was there a surgery to remove them? No, no, no. So no. So it, her lungs have like scar tissue from the tumors, but but no. So how long was she on chemotherapy? She was. Um, so we need to. We, we first she had surgery because they needed to do a central line, and then she started chemotherapy. And she was a uh, like for four months. She was on chemotherapy while well, she needed to go to the hospital every week. Yeah. Just to get it through the IV. And then, well, the central line, and then, um, yeah. So you, so you're going back and forth. At this time, we were when when her, the treatment was so often, we stayed in Houston. Okay. So when we first went to to Texas to get the diagnosis, we left Natalie, our oldest daughter, here in Mexico with okay. with my in-laws. Right. I traveled with my mom and Jonathan, my husband, and the baby. And then, uh, so we just called them and said like, hey, bad news, we'll have to stay to start our own chemotherapy. So if you can bring the other part of the family, please. So they, they brought Natalie to us and then we stayed in Houston. So you had to stay Houston for, yeah. for how long? We stayed for the whole semester because uh, that was when we needed to do yeah. the treatments so often. Um, so we ended up staying from like midsummer to December. So, so one of the one of the things that happens when the family goes through something like this—that's the untold story. What was that like for your your family as a whole? Your oldest daughter, your husband, your child going through this, you going through this, the grandmother—you have so many moving parts. How did everyone deal with those emotions? I think at at this point, everybody was pretty much in survival mode. So we were, at least myself, I was just going through the motions of keeping this baby alive and just doing everything I could to, like, just, as I said, keep her alive. Yeah. My husband was kind of, he took the role of, like, how to deal with everything, like, in the world. Like, he was doing the appointments, scheduling everything, taking care of the medications, insurance, things like that, and taking care of our oldest daughter because I... I couldn't do anything other than keep Michelle alive, but he is an amazing father and I'm beyond grateful because he took over. Like he kind of like saw where he needed to go and that's what he did. As far as our parents and brothers, like everybody just tried to do the best they could. Like my husband worked at that time with his brothers in Mexico and they said like, you know what, don't worry about anything. You go and deal with your family issues. The business is taken care of. So everybody just tried to do whatever they could just to sustain our like well-being in order for us to deal with this unimaginable situation. And Natalie was just like this perfect kid. 
where she, I think like she understood that everything was kind of like very, very shaky yeah. in the family. So she was just like this super pleasing, perfect little girl. She went to school, she came back home. She was always happy. She took care of herself. And I think now when, when I see as a teenager what she's dealing with, you can see a lot of that, like huge label of she was perfect and she was so helpful and she was just a perfect little girl and she didn't give us any trouble. And I think like now it's catching up with her, just the understanding that you don't need to be perfect. That's like everyone. I think now we are all catching up with being normal. with the scars of yeah. this situation. Yeah. Because at that time, we, we couldn't deal with it. And now it's like, oh my God, I have this here, I have this there. And it's like, you can see how it affects everything. Uh, for me and my husband, uh, it was like, we were the perfect team. Like, perfect. Yeah. But there was no connection. We, like, we didn't have time or energy to, ha to deal with our marriage. It was just like this partnership where we need to take care of these beautiful kids that were giving to us as a blessing. And we just needed to just move forward and then when you kind of the water settled and you look and you see like oh my god this person has been with me for four years and we, we are completely disconnected so now it's time to water the plant and just make this grow right so it yeah it was a lot so you were in Houston and then how did you so when you came to San Diego was Michelle doing better yeah, so thank God she reacted great to the treatment since the very beginning. Okay. So um, these are babies that are like under under the micro microscope. So yeah. she got a lot of tests all the time. Since the beginning of the story, we knew right away that she was responding very well. I don't know if I told you this in the interview, but in our phone call before, but when, when, when they give us the diagnosis, they told us you can choose treatment A, B, or just pretty much A just go into the study group and, and you will get what you get and you won't, you will even know. Um, and that for me was super overwhelming because it's like, I, I have this baby and how, how do, how do I choose what's yeah. best for her with, when I don't have any, any of the tools to really know how to answer this question. So it was just like a lot of desperation reaching out to as many doctors as we could, but this is a very rare disease. So nobody really knew anything about it. So the doctor ended up saying, you guys should start with the A treatment just because she's not the worst case we've seen. And if it doesn't work, you can move up to, to the treatment Good plan. B, which Good plan. was a little bit more aggressive. So yeah. the side effects were very, very difficult. And so since day one, we knew that she was getting better and she was responding to the treatment. By the time when we went back to Mexico, more the decision was because the treatments were spread about three weeks. So she only needed chemotherapy every three weeks. So what we decided to do is to go one week, get the treatments in Houston, and then take all the medication to Mexico, travel to Mexico, and give her one treatment in Mexico, and then come back after three weeks again to Houston to get like the treatment and more medicine, and then... It's no wonder you guys were fractured. I mean, yeah, I, you couldn't do it any other way. Yeah. But, I mean, you're right, it's survival. You have this we little were, baby and you're trying to I save her. I was 100% in survival mode. I sometimes don't even remember the specifics of it's everything that happened. Yeah, I'm sure. A blur. Yeah. And so tell us where you are now. I'm in a 
much better place right now. So um, as hard as it, the story is, and it, it still like hurts my heart to talk about it, now I have a beautiful 15-year-old daughter that is completely healthy and very, very amazing human being. And she's so special and so smart and so beautiful that I couldn't be more grateful. So after everything that we went through, it was all worth it. And we have like a beautiful story with a very happy ending. So is this the type of disease that you have to maintain or I mean no no she she's in full remission which means like she's not sick anymore and this yeah like it's 100% healed okay at this point she has the same uh, chances of getting the disease back the disease back that we do but this particular disease if you get it as an adult is not very like it's nothing Terrible. not as bad it's mainly in your skin and it's not such a big deal wow the problem with these babies is like everything is systemic so it ends yeah. up spreading all over but and and also now 15 years after they don't even give them chemotherapy for this uh, disease so but yeah but she's in full remission i was very apprehensive so i kept going to the doctor to just check that she was doing fine and we did it like that every six months and then every year and then COVID happened and we haven't gone back to the doctor, but we don't need to. It was just yeah. more like me being trying to be like super overprotective or maybe over controlling because really like she's in full remission. She's 100% cure and this should be in the past. When she, when she hears the story of how she began, I mean, she probably doesn't remember a lot of it. Yeah. I, I, for me, it was always a struggle that she was this tiny baby that couldn't tell me anything. Yeah. And that, for me, was very difficult to, to manage just because, like, I really wanted to comfort her, but I couldn't know what she was going through. And I always wonder, like, can she has, like, memories on her cells, like, of this pain and yeah. this struggle? Or what's about it? Like, she's heard the story a million times, so... She, even for her, it's like I hear this story. It's but surreal. I, it's yeah. like she's outside of herself. But she integrates it because she hears like this is the story of her life. So I think she's also trying to make sense of, of everything. Yeah. And what about your older daughter? Is there, do you see, you say that she, you know, was always the perfect child and she has kind of taken on that role now. Is there any resentment? I don't think there is resentment. They love each other so much and they have a very beautiful relationship. I, 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 don't, I, w I would never call it resentment, but I think it, it was like this overwhelming sense of responsibility that she needed to be perfect and act perfect and do great in order not to like move the waters anymore, you know? Like everything was so shaky all the time in the house that she needed just to stay still. Right. So of course, like... I, I, I can only imagine that makes a toll on her as well, where like, this is who she is. So, and, and I was also thinking like every time, like I narrate the story of our family, it's like, and then she's perfect. So it's like, Carol, rephrase your words. Like it was very fortunate that she was so easy, but she doesn't need to be perfect. She's no. amazing. So no. when you have all these things happen and now you, you're coming out of it with, with your daughter. From a business perspective, did that experience really give you the, the drive to form your business the way that it ended up going? Yeah, so um, 
it's funny how everything happens because I was also, also this person that wanted to be perfect and do everything perfect. And I, I am a lawyer myself and I wanted to change the world, you know, and I have all these expectations of how life needed to look like. And then it wasn't until I let everything go and started thinking what brings me joy that I went into school to study to be a chef. And then I went into school to study to be a, like a health coach. And of course, everything started from, from Michelle that I, um, when she first uh, fully recovered, I had this need to pay it forward. I was like, I was so fortunate. I had a, an insurance for right. starters. Like yeah. this was a very, very expensive thing to go through. And I was like, I have like everything I needed. Uh, so I really wanted to pay it forward. And I wanted to work in a nonprofit organization where you could help kids go through these and parents. So, um, I ended up working in the government in Mexico, in the health department, and I wanted to change the world. But I, going into the, gover the government, it's a lot of bureaucracy and, and things. I, I didn't just experience the benefit of anything. Everything was like beyond the scenes. So I, I don't know, I just like started understanding so much about the health system and how, how expensive it is to cure people. And then you have like to choose between like covering this treatment or covering this treatment. And I'm like, you even need to be lucky what you get sick of because some treatments are covered. For example, if you have cancer in Mexico City and you like there's like a, they cover cancer for kids under 18. But if you are a, a 17 or older, they don't. So everything to me just didn't make a lot of sense. So I was like, we need to prevent disease if we want to get somewhere because there's not enough money in the world to cure everyone. So let's prevent disease. So that's why I became so like apprehensive from, for like lifestyle and well-being and food. And of course, um, I, I skipped this part, but when Michelle was so sick and I couldn't do anything to comfort her, um, or even I just didn't know what to do in order to comfort her. I. Um, I just started getting a lot into food and I, I they draw her, her blood so they would say oh my god don't take her out because her iron count is so low so then I went and I do some research and I found that spinach and beans are very high in iron so I feed her some beets, beans and spinach and then her blood count went up in a week and I'm like oh my god this is magic so I became super apprehensive with food uh, to an extreme and I'm very grateful because I really think that made a difference, at least for me emotionally, to at least know that she was, I was giving her a lot of chemicals and medicine, but at the other side of the spectrum, I was trying to give keep her like, clean. yeah, keep it clean and give it like healthy food. So then that's how like every, everything was like a little stepping stone. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I just like experienced the healing powers of food. And so you, how did, this parakeet, where did parakeet come from? So everything started with a juice bar. Okay. And that was the first. Where, in La Jolla? In La Jolla. Okay. So we, we first opened a Juice Crafters. Okay. Which is a brand from LA that we brought to, to San Diego. And, and it started there. I was, at one point of my life, I was vegan 100%. I only ate like super clean, 100% organic food. I would get, I got traumatized if the girls wanted to pick up a chocolate bar because I thought it was like so detrimental to their health. So 
I ended up thinking that there was nothing healthy here in, in, in San Diego, which was very surprising for me because San Diego people are very, very health conscious. Yeah. So I ended up thinking, if I want something, I need to open it myself. So we started with the juice bar, and at that time it made a lot of sense because I was 100% vegan. I only wanted to eat like super clean and greens and whatever. So we started with that project, and it was very, very gratifying to finally like understand or or not understand but give a purpose to everything it was like oh my god everything we went through but now we get to serve our community healthily healthily and help others stay healthy so it just like we started to see like oh my god it was all worth it like we learned what we needed to learn we can improve people's life like one cup of juice at a time and i remember that that time when people came and they were like i don't like healthy or i've never drink a, a or, good juice or organic had like organic, this negative or it was connotation like, are green juice any good i'm like try it and then come back tomorrow and let me know how you felt so it was like it had a power to it it's like everything was so hard and so difficult but then you have these and you get to make it happy and uplifting and joyful and just like helpful for other people so so you you started the juice place and then how did you jump where parakeet we started the juice place and then people thought it wasn't enough so they always kept asking for more and we were like let's give them more and since the juice bar wasn't our concept right we we just branded out of la and brought it here we partnered with the owners so um we said let's do what we want to do really like let's bring everything that we want to offer to our community to one place and do it all and that's how parakeet came to life let me tell you something you hit everything with perfection because i can pretty much name almost everything on their menu and i'm not kidding so you're going to try some of the snickerdoodle here in a minute mister <laughs> it's so good Apparently, whenever she does this, I have to try. You do. You this, have this, to. This it's goes, so good. This goes back to our radio days. Like, I would come in to... Well, wait till the interview's over. I can't eat with blue yeah, yeah, you can. I have a question. Okay, well, ask the question and then try the snickerdoodle. When you, were, when you started to feed the kids healthier foods and you saw her blood sugar go up, did that fire you up to feel like, okay, now there's something. This is something I can control. This is not chemo. This is not a doctor. This is not a skin exam. This is something that I can do in my kitchen that can help fight what she's going through. What, that, how did you feel when you realized that, look at what I did, how much more can I do? Yeah, I think it, it wasn't her blood sugar that went up. It was her, yeah, it was, we don't want her blood sugar to go up. It, it was her, yeah, her iron count and, and positive things, but it, I think um, I, I just needed to do something mm -hmm. to help this little baby that I didn't even knew because she was like kind of fussy and very like, sleepy and you know like I, I always wonder like who is this baby is she happy is she not if, is she in pain or not and maybe that's her personality you know so then I have this little thing where I can cling on and say like oh my god I am her mom and I can provide something that is helpful to this baby yeah because the beginning of the story is like I couldn't even breastfeed her correctly because in Mexico it's nothing like here. So when you give birth to a baby that it's in the NICU, you need to leave your baby in the NICU and go home. And you only have four hours of visiting hours a day. Mm. That's so rough. That was so there's absolutely no way you could 
breastfeed. I couldn't. I tried to like pump and pump yeah. and everything, but it, it was only sustainable for so short period of time. Right. It was so painful, like the whole process, because just leaving your baby there and. So then, after so long, I find this place where I can connect with her, and I, like, it's just making sense to me now that it was, like, breastfeeding, second opportunity, you know? I could control what she was ingesting, and it was doing her so good. And there is power in food, and we have to re-teach ourselves, or teach ourselves that it's important to eat healthy. It's important to eat clean. It's important to know where your food is coming from, to source yeah. your food. Um, you know, you hate to cut out the middleman like the grocery store, but I mean, I've changed everything. And, you know, with so many people getting so sick, it can't be just a coincidence that this is happening. It has to be environmental. So, and we're ingesting the environment, be it plastics, chemicals, yeah. things we've never heard of. It's there and yeah. we've never questioned it. So now we know we're, we're being equipped with the knowledge of the power of food and eating healthy and, and preventing disease. I mean, we want to prevent it. Yeah, we we yeah. don't want to wait until we're sick before we make life-changing um, changes, of you know, course. of food or, or what our lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, nowadays it's easier to be gluten intolerant or because everything, you know, we have options. Look, my snickerdoodle is gluten free. Yeah. Um, it's easier to have, um, to eat very specific. I know. These days. And also, like, what I've learned because coming from Mexico, it's like you have like, all of my food was always very homemade. That's how you do it there. And then I came here and I saw like so many people being allergic to everything pretty everything. much. But it's like yeah. the process. Like I don't think there's a lot of people are really allergic to gluten as they are allergic of the process that we use to make bread. Yes. Where it's not like fully like fermented right. and processed in the way that our bodies can digest it. So it's like the whole process of making food that it's like kind of broken somewhere it's been years and years in the making yeah and I just wish that everybody I mean when you're sick when you have a chronic disease you look at everything to make yourself better yeah and doctors don't want to accept maybe that there's a link with food not all doctors I mean I've been to plenty who think food has no connection to my autoimmune but the more research we do, the more we know how important the gut is. And what you put in your stomach, it's all about the food. Yeah. It's all about the food. It's all about the food. And you are so providing that here. Everything here is so clean and healthy and good and nutritious. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it honestly, it, oh. I can't. It's an experiment. It's, it's very good. It's he, good. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm a huge, like, more sugar, more sugar person. It's fantastic. It's pretty good. He, Thank you. Always, he's a trooper because it's been years that I've always handed him things that I've eaten that most of the time he doesn't like, but I knew he would like He this. likes these. So yes. <laughs> Thank so, you. So, also another thread in this podcast is the ability to share and I wasn't sure 
how you felt because in this article that I read about you and your journey with your daughter, you didn't really divulge a whole lot. So I thought, oh, I don't know if she's going to be open to this, but it's it's cathartic for you, I would imagine, to not keep it, you know, locked down, and it helps other people as well. And you know, wanted to create a platform here where we're comfortable enough to talk about things and share with each other because that's how we you know aren't we put on this earth to help each other in any capacity that we can on any level and I get it you know when you're in the middle of pain and when you're in the middle of your daughter's survival the last thing you want to do is sit down and tell the whole story and you know you're just on a fight or flight I mean you're just you 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 want her to survive yeah but when you catch a breather it's really important for people to hear everybody's got a story yeah and to hear everybody's story we can we can all be one in helping each other I just think that's so strong and powerful I agree so in the beginning I think it was just very painful to talk about this experience but in the end I ended up learning that it was the the need of keeping it inside hiding that was creating more pain yeah and it came back and haunted me all the time like every time like something tiny tiny healthy health related happened with Michelle like this huge bomb exploded inside of me and I catastrophized everything so bad and I found that that was it like it was so much pain buried in my sales yes like I just couldn't deal with everything and it you can end up making yourself sick of course by suppressing all of that yeah I mean but you know it's you were fighting for your daughter's life but it is freeing it is so liberating to just let it go and then finding people that get inspired by your your story it's very powerful because As I said, like, it makes it worth it. It's like, okay, I went through this terrible experience. It was very challenging, but someone is learning something positive and can positively change their lives because of this. Then it's like, it's bigger than myself, bigger than me being like, oh my God, everything bad happens to me. Why me? You know, it's like, it's not me. It's the collective energy of the universe that needs to like go through things like this in order to evolve, to move forward, to learn and grow. So yeah, it is very, very, very like liberating and healing to share the story. And yeah, every time I do, I learn something new. It's a good thing. Something clings and makes yes. more sense. Yes. And so the name Parakeet, how did Parakeet come to be? I think like this reflects so much everything what we went through because um, at first we were to an extreme where everything was health, 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 super clean, super clean, super clean. But also emotionally, it was very draining because like, it's like, don't eat this, don't eat that. This is bad. This is good. You know, like a lot of like judgment on food, which is very hard as well because food is such a big component of like social life. Right. And so when I found the balance where it's like, Also, stress is very, very damaging for health. So don't stress about it so much. Just do the best you can all the time. Quality matters, but if you do it 80% of the time and just one like little crazy decision here and there, it's not the end of the world. So that's how also Parakeet came to life. It's like we wanted something fun and happy and uplifting and just joyful. But what what, what about the name? 
well we, we yeah that's pretty much we were looking for something happy you know like it's something stuck. fun something yeah like something happy and colorful and joyful and who doesn't have like a parakeet growing up or a parrot growing I up? I did. And it's just fun. I had a parakeet. We had two. My brother's parakeet though yeah, so killed my much. parakeet, but <laughs> mine was yellow. His was blue. See, that, that's exactly See? what we were trying to accomplish. Just like bring up happy memories. Yeah. Because it's not only about the quality and the ingredients. It's also about the environment and the energy and just the place, which I kind of miss a little bit right now, but it's coming back because such a big component of what I love about Parakeet Cafe was just like the environment and the energy yeah. and the people just it's like coming back. here, you know, it's coming back. It starts to feel a little bit more like normal. Having people sitting inside, it's so exciting to me. <laughs> it's like the noise, people chatting, it's, yeah. So you have four stores? We have four. So you have Del Mar, One Paseo, La no, Jolla. No, Del Mar and One Paseo, it's Oh one. yeah, one, yeah. yeah. And then La Jolla. Little Italy and Coronado is our newest location. Okay, that's very exciting. So you so are you going to continue to expand? I don't know. <laughs> I kind of like say no, and then I find a new location, and I'm like, okay, let's do it. It's always been my dream to like go. I, I, I see this as something very beneficial for the community, and I really believe it in the core of my soul that I'm doing something good for the community. So I feel like I need to go everywhere because everybody deserves this. I could not agree with you more. Um, something else that you guys do very well. Your social media is awesome. I don't know who does it, but they are on it. I know. They are very talented. They're on it. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. I, I don't do that myself. I try to play a part in that role, but no. I leave, I leave that to professionals. No, it's great. I mean, everything around here speaks and says social media. So you've created something that's really truly amazing i just feel one of the of the things that have worked so good for for us as a concept as a brand as everything is like jonathan and i and i were always humble enough to understand that we didn't know everything so we surrounded ourselves with professionals that understood what we were trying right. to accomplish yeah. and we let them be like we said like you are the designer, just do your thing, and this is how we envision it, but you do you, and then we trusted the process, and they created something amazing. Same with like everyone in the team, like if someone has an idea, we let them be, you know, like we know that there's only so much that we know how to do, so we have you bring a lot in of everybody. Help. Yeah, everybody, like, they know their thing, they know how to like make their, whatever, like I, I just feel like, it was like a very organic combination of talents that made this possible. So if John was gonna go order something, somebody brand new to Parakeet, what would you say your signature drink? And I remember my very first drink. I remember what was it? my girlfriend Diane brought me here. I worked out with her in La Jolla and it was a turmeric latte. Yeah. Turmeric latte. Turmeric yeah. latte. My God, it was so good. Yeah, I, I would say that would be our signature drink. Okay, and what about food, food-wise? Turmeric latte would be our signature drink. Food-wise, um, the avocado toast. Okay, agree. Awesome. Um, the, what, what do you, mushroom toast? Okay, that's amazing. Keep going. I know going. you love that. Grilled vegetable bowl. 
I haven't People had that. Love it. Okay. You would love it. It's amazing. Okay, the other thing that is the, the green scramble eggs. Okay, I've had that. I've had that Super many times. Super popular. In <laughs> no, but there's something else that I. I personally. She's love gonna say it. All the salads in the menu. Okay, that's not that. I'm sure they're delicious. There's this one thing I've had them everywhere I go. You'll never find a better one than here. The acai bowl. Yeah, I know. It's an acai bowl. They oh. put. It's so good. Have you ever had one? No. no. <laughs> never in your life or never here. I've never had one. Period. They don't. They oh do my god. See them and I go now. No, no, no. I'm no. eat a salad before I eat it. Do you do? You, <laughs> you know, say, I don't like healthy food. Salad. Sorry. Wait. Do you like peanut butter? No. Okay. Do you like almond butter? What oh. do you like? Candy. I will make a candy. <laughs> well, get the sneaker to enjoy. Candy. That alone, the sneaker doodle was good. I, I would we're, recommend that alone. Uh, we're that we're, we're working on it. That should be in a store somewhere. That should be sold at all stores. Thank you. It's right here. Mm -hmm. you, they can come here and get it. <laughs> yeah, come here and get it. Come here and get it. Uh, we're working on him. I'll I'll break him in. Carol, thank you for being so honest and so open in sharing your story. Because I know, I know when you talk about things that are traumatic that happened in the past, that it's a very surreal event, and you relive that emotion. And I know that's hard to do, but we really appreciate you opening up this amazing restaurant thank you so much and for you being so generous and so um just honest about everything thank, thank you. you so thank much thank you for listening to my story for sharing it with like whoever is listening and seeing the podcast and yeah for appreciating what we do with so much love we see and feel the love so thank you thank you thank you thank you